Welcome to Destiny Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Eric Smith. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit destinydayton.com. I sounded really weak. How many here today? All right, amen. How many got your Bible ready? It's open. Hebrews 12, 15. Are you there? All right, we're going to continue on the deeper series, the book of Hebrews, 27 messages long as of this morning. And uh, it's just been amazing to see uh, what, what God has just revealed to us through his word as his Holy Spirit has made his word come alive. How many know you need the Holy Spirit to make the Bible come alive? Because an atheist can read the Bible and get nothing. Because the Bible is, this will sound bad, but it's true, the Bible's nothing without the Holy Spirit. See, that's not, uh, lost a few, I don't know about that. No, it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, not Father, Son, Holy Bible, remember? All right, this, this is God's word, it's true. We believe in the inerrant scripture, the inerrant as, as it was given from the Holy Spirit. However, remember the Bible was written by people like us. No writers of the Bible had virgin births. They all were people surrendered to the Lord. As the Bible says, they were moved as the Holy Spirit spoke to them and they recorded what we needed, enough of what we needed to get to where we need to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, if we ever have question of that, we can just remember the early church, the book of Acts, they didn't even have the New Testament. And look at all they did. So we need to know that the Bible works together with the Holy Spirit. That's important. Word of God, it's forever, it's powerful, it's permanent, it's eternal, and the Holy Spirit is God. And the Holy Spirit makes the Word of God come alive. Amen. Okay. Hebrews 12. Today I'm going to, th- this is a very challenging message and it's challenging for me and it, I, I hope it'll be challenging for you to hear, but I, I want you to hear this and I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to spin this to accommodate modern hearers because I want to, I want to hear what the writer of Hebrews said. Amen. Don't we want to hear, if we're, we're going to value the word of God like we should and we do, then we need to hear what the writer was, was saying and what he meant not how we're going to spin it to fit modern times, all right? We, we want to we look at this and hear what he's saying. So here we are. Here we go. Hebrews 12, verses 15 and 16. That's a, be about the extent of where we're going to go today. Verse 15. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no one be like a bitter root springing up and causing trouble, and through it many become defiled. Verse 16, and see to it that no one becomes an immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. We essentially have here in these two verses three see to it's. Now this is written, right, to to the the church at large. this, this, This book is titled Hebrews, but... Hebrew Christians were certainly uh, the focus, but it wasn't just only to Hebrew Christians. It was to any believer that was connected to this, this body who received this letter. And as you remember, they were going through some persecution. They were going through some tough times. They were going through some cultural uh, oppression, if you will. Because you see, we've got to understand not much has changed today. Christianity is not a subculture movement. It's a counterculture movement. When you serve Jesus Christ correctly and biblically, you will, in, you will encounter turbulent waters. Why? Because you are literally swimming against the flow of culture. 
And this is what was happening here in this time period with the persecution. There were people that were losing jobs. They were losing their livelihood because they had given their life to Christ. And there was a price that was being paid. And some of them were starting to drift back into culture. They were starting to drift back into religion. They were starting to drift back to what they were before. That's why one of the main themes in Hebrews is don't quit, don't give up, keep serving Jesus no matter what. So here we have this exhortation. See to it, church, that no one lags in the grace of God. See to it that no one becomes bitter. See to it that no one becomes immoral and godless. Now this is really going to be challenging to us today. Because... In America, we don't we, we say we value the Bible, but you know what? We absolutely disobey almost every church I've ever been a part of. Biblical discipline. Have you ever been in the church when they said this brother over here is committing adultery? We want to call him out and correct him right now. You ever been in the church where that happened? That's supposed to happen. But it doesn't. And the reason being, and there's things like that, because we have allowed the culture to press against what biblical Christianity is. And as a result, we have something in some cases that doesn't look much like Christianity. Now, let me say I love the church. Whenever I, I, I'll make statements like that or, or what I just said previously, people say, oh, he's going to crusade against it. No, no, no. I love the church. There's not a bigger fan of the church of Jesus Christ than me. I love the church, and my heart is for the church to be revived and powerful and, and, and living according to the word and, and just living in the full revelation of who Jesus Christ is. That's, that's my heart, and that's my dream. And I, I believe to get there, though, it, it's got to start, and I, I think it has started, but I, I think that God always raises up a company of people, and it's usually a small group, but people will say, you know, we're going to stand against culture. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go against the flow. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to let you sit down, all right? Because I know you all been patient. You all been great. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Go deep in our heart today. We love you. Lord, I pray you would change my thinking today. God, I walked in one way. Help me to leave another in the name of Jesus. Help me to walk out closer to you. Help me to walk out more in tune with you. Help me to walk out fired up to run for you harder than I've ever had before. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Everyone say amen that agrees with that. And you may be seated. I believe culture might be our worst enemy. And sometimes it's hard to see exactly how culture has affected us. But our culture here in America has its own gods. There are cultural gods now. And if you pay much attention to the news and you listen, you, you can hear the things that are, that, are, that are being surfaced as the cultural gods. I've mentioned those in the past few weeks. I won't dive into that again right now because it, this is not my, it's not my purpose this morning. But sometimes we don't know how much we've been affected by culture. Why? Because we live in it. We were raised in it. We function in it. And we, we just, it just becomes part of who we are and we don't even realize. And sometimes we don't even realize how much it's affected us in our walk with Jesus Christ. 
Now, let me tell you this, and I'm going to ask you again. That, that I, I guarantee you the devil will try to get you out of your seat today and distract you. Don't let him stay put. I promise you, uh, the, I'm, I'm going to get right to the point here. The Lord wants to deal, do something strong in us. I, I believe he's doing something in his body that's unique and powerful. And uh, I, I'm just, I'm along for the ride with what the Lord has for us. And uh, man, I, I'm just excited for what Jesus has. So just hang with me. But I, I just want to tell you that what I'm sharing with you today is not unprecedented. The pressure to live according to culture is not unprecedented. In fact, that is the purpose of the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation was written to Christians who were suffering terrible persecution and they were living in what we know as today, present day Turkey, between 80, 90, and 80, 95. And, and to get the message across, the Apostle John, John the Revelator, he used images and pictures that were familiar to his readers to enable them to see clearly what was really going on around them. Because you see, the people that are blinded by culture often don't know they're blinded by culture because right now they're the ones that are tuned out, looking at their phones, thinking about what they're doing afterwards, and they've been affected and they don't know it yet. Not that there's anything wrong with them. If you got your phones, I get it. That's fine. Especially if you're, you know, tweeting out or something. Hey, join us at Destiny. That's a great, that's a great reason to use your cell phone right now. But I... I, I totally agree with it. There's a New Testament scholar, his name is Richard Backham, and he's, he's a, one of the foremost scholars on the book of Revelation, conservative theologian, great guy. He, he makes this point, and if you read the book of Revelation, it, it makes the most sense, but we often wonder, what's the beast of Revelation? What's the beast? He says that the beast is actually the Roman Empire. Again, as you read through Revelation, this, this makes more and more sense. The Roman culture, the Roman economy, the Roman education, and the military might brought great wealth and peace to the empire. Unfortunately, along with all of that came all kinds of filth, sin, and corruption. And Rome was become, became very corrupt and, and very sinful and very uh, a moral abyss. And, and many of the emperors, uh, most of them, thought they were gods. And they demanded that people worship them. And they had to worship the government. They had to worship the culture. And that was the demand. And so Christians, as a result, uh, obviously there was an initial pushback like we, we can't do that but people were by and large excited about the roman rule because rome proclaimed herself to be the eternal city they offered security and possibilities of dazzling wealth you know send us your poor you're tired everybody wanted to come to rome and be in the empire and the whole world envied her prosperity is this sounding familiar yet and affluence and the Apostle John wrote that the whole world was astonished and followed the beast, the culture. And they worshiped the beast and asked, this is Revelation 13, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? So as a result, many Christians, their faith was tested. I'm giving you a background for what I'm about to tell you in Hebrew. So hang on. If you're just like in and out, just, just dial in for a second here. Rome demanded their allegiance. If they did not submit to the pressure, they lost jobs. They lost privileges, Christians. They lost reputation. They, they lost hard-earned money. They lost friends. Some quit their faith altogether. Finding pressure to go against the intense, seemingly irresistible pressure of Roman culture was too much to bear. People think we're weird. People think we're strange. 
Still other believers were trying to find a middle ground between the values of the Roman culture, the beast, and the values of Christ. And they tried to simultaneously keep one foot in the world, in the Roman culture, and one foot in the church. But as they soon found out, if they do that, you simply get assimilated by culture. See, culture will trump almost anything else. The only thing you overcome culture with is the power of Jesus Christ indwelling inside of you. Otherwise, you'll think like culture, you'll act like culture, you'll value the same things as culture. You'll live your life accordingly to culture. You'll question people when they want to do the opposite. You know, you see monks in a monastery who don't have anything and they've sold all their possessions. That's weird. Well, actually, that's more biblical lifestyle. <laughs> we, we call weird what sometimes is biblically normal. But God, here's the thing, through revelation, he makes it clear that there must be no compromise between Christ and the beast. And we only have two choices. Either we compromise and allow ourselves to be absorbed into the culture, the beast, or Romans 18, 4, 4 says to come out of her, faithfully bearing witness to what is true by both our words and our lives. So the beast, I believe, still exists today, and it's our culture. And this is where, this is where we apply revelation to today. The Roman, the Roman culture was the beast then for the Christians in 90 A.D. Today, the beast is, I believe, the American culture. The number one economy in the world, number one influence in the world, most powerful army in the world, most I mean, this, our influence. People all over the world listen to American music. All over the world, they watch American movies. All over the world, they're infected by American pornography. All over the world, they're affected by what they see, hear, and have gleaned by this powerful thing called the American culture. And understand that the God who sits on the throne is still the same. And he demands that his people don't mix with culture. He demands that we follow him. And this morning, I want to just remind you, if we are going to think biblically, we're going to have to change perhaps some of the way we have thought and some of the ways we've received God's word. And to understand, if, and I love this saying, and I borrowed from Willie George, the pastor at Church on the Move in Tulsa, if we do what we've always done, you're going to have what you've always had. If you've absolutely loved how your life has gone up until now without Christ in it or without Christ in charge or without making Christ-centered decisions, then by all means, carry on. But if you're like most of the rest of us and say, you know what, uh, my life without Christ, my life without Christ-centered decisions tends to be a train wreck. Therefore, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to push back against culture. I'm going to do things differently. I know culture says it's okay. Culture says it's normal. But I'm going to push back because the Bible... It God's word is calling me higher to do life a little bit differently. In fact, quite a bit differently. So I believe what we see here in this passage, in these two verses, is that we have a core responsibility for each other. We have a responsibility spiritually to each one of us in here. Or whatever church, if you're watching online, you can send to a different church. You're responsible for the people that you go to church to. You have a responsibility to them at some level. Figuring out what that is exactly sometimes can be difficult. Why? Because there's not a map for it in the American culture. We, like I said at the beginning, we haven't been doing it. 
I think we, we get kind of close to it when we do small groups. We get kind of close to it, you know, when, when we can develop really good friends. But it, the problem is uh, uh, when we, well, we don't take correction well. Sometimes correction isn't given well. You see, we've got this culture where it's like, I don't need them. I'll make it on my own steam. I'll prove it to them. I'll show them. I don't need them. I'll independently just take care of myself. I don't need any of them. I don't need this. I'm going to go prove myself. Now, that thought in some scenarios, sorry, I'm going to walk out of your screen at home. If you want to see all of me, come in person here. It's great. You see all of me then. If some, you take some of those thoughts in certain applications, and that's good. A work ethic. I want to work hard. I'm going, okay, that's good. That's good. The problem is that we have this cultural thing where we don't want to listen to anybody. No one has us the right to tell us anything. That's just embedded in our culture. That's in every single one of us. And whether we want to admit it or not, now some of us have learned to push that down <laughs> and resist that. But I'm just telling you today, the cultural default is to push back. No one's telling me nothing. And people on the outside thinking, well, that person's an idiot not to live with that. I'm not telling me. I mean, it's like, we, it's like some people are just fighting this invisible war where we're not going to be told. We're going to do what we want to do. We're in control. We're going to do it the way we want to do it. Now, here's the problem. That is 180 degrees opposite from the kingdom of God. Because I, I could go through more scripture today, and I'll, I'll go a little bit more, but we're reading here, the writer of Hebrews said, see to it that no one in your body lags behind in this thing called God's grace. There are three see to it's. See to it that no one, and I added this because I wanted you to see the context. He didn't say see to it that you. He said see to it that no one. He's speaking of the people that they are running with, their body of believers. See to it that no one in the body of Christ you're connected to comes up short of God's grace. Interesting. If you are traveling with a group of of hikers in the middle of nowhere and it's a long journey and it's an arduous journey like brother ryan you just got back from mount rainier man you just you, you hiked some rugged terrain and I, your pictures i saw were just absolutely amazing and it just made me think of this as i was studying this week it's possible in a group that one of your traveling companions is not as fit as you are and they may lag behind, and they may... Now, Ryan doesn't have that problem. <laughs> His nickname is Durago from Rocky Five. I mean, the man's a rock. <laughs> he don't have that problem, all right? But spiritually, when you consider how we're, we're, we're looking at this, the group of people that, that we're called to be connected to, and I'm specifically talking about the local church that God has connected you to, we have a responsibility on this journey of life, on this journey of going after Christ, right, 
to watch out for each other, to make sure no one lags behind in the grace of God. In other words, don't let them, he says, don't let them fall short of God's grace. And just like in a, if you're hiking in a team, right, if one of your partners or friends fell behind, you would go back and get them. You would carry them. You would put them on their back if you had to. You would lay them on the ground on a blanket and drag them with you if you had to. You would not leave them in the wilderness where bears or whoever else would have a shot at them to hurt them. I was reading this in connection this week, but from National Geographic, they said that most people who get lost and lose their life hiking are the ones who are only hiking casually. <laughs> Other than that, that's a spiritual uh, jump-off point right there. They're just casual hikers. They call them day hikers. They've come just for a few hours. They were just doing it maybe for a day or for a few hours. But the ones committed to the long hike are usually always prepared, and the other ones are not. That's why the ones that always get lost, when you hear about people that were lost hiking and they, they found their body, oftentimes they were just going out for a few hours. But they said the ones who are in it for the long haul, those are the ones who are usually prepared for adversity. And when you lose the trail, they said typically you have to be ready to spend the night in the woods. And that's where most people hit their crisis moment. In fact, maybe you heard just a couple years ago, a lady from Ohio died in the Smoky Mountains. And she followed something that she thought was a trail. Maybe you heard about her, but, but it wasn't a trail. And it led her into some dense vegetation. And she could yell and scream. And no one heard her. She's by herself, not prepared for the elements. They found her body just two miles from a parking lot at Klingman's Dome, which is a very popular place there in the Smokies that, you know, there have been hundreds of cars on any given day. The ones who get lost never anticipated losing the trail. Therefore, they weren't prepared for it. They didn't have enough warm clothes. They, they didn't have enough supply, not enough water. And they got, or they got separated from someone they were with. And they weren't prepared for the struggle that came after that. I want to tell you something, my friends. There are many reasons why our brother or sister may lag behind the grace of God. But as family, we must help them catch up. Help them keep on the right path. Lovingly reach out a hand of assistance to them. Because you can fall short of the grace of God. That's exactly what the Bible just said. Because what's happened, you start to lag, and then before long, it's you say, I might as well quit. I don't need them. I'll do this on my own. How often have we heard this? My goodness, I've been in ministry for 33 years now, Dylan. That's a long time, my brother. And I have seen this over and over and over again. People begin to struggle. They begin to lag behind. And I want to tell you, it goes both ways. Sometimes there's nobody reaching out to them and saying, here, let me help you. But sometimes when someone reaches out to them, they say, I don't need your help. But understand, we have a responsibility to each other to make sure that no one is lagging in the grace of God. See, here's my challenge to you this morning. We all know the Bible says be a hearer, not just a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. I would say the same thing in church. Don't be just a church attender. Be a church engager. Engage. Engage. Know enough people well enough. You don't need a lot, just a few. Just know enough people well enough. So if you're struggling spiritually, you will have somebody that can reach out to you and that you'll give them permission to speak into your life. You'll get, and you'll, boast all, you'll listen to what they're saying. 
two. See to it that no one in the body of Christ you are connected to becomes bitter and has a wormwood spirit. This is interesting. Because he names three kind of separate things here. I guess they're all connected in a way. But the first is don't, don't let a brother or sister lag behind in the grace of God. Reach out to him. See to it that that doesn't happen. And then see to it that no one becomes bitter or has a wormwood spirit. And the, and the word wormwood just means extremely bitter. And I'm, I'm going to talk about wormwood here in just a second. But he begins, if you'll notice in your Bible or in, in your pad or your phone, you, you may know that's italicized or there's little, there's little footnotes on that because now the writer of Hebrews is quoting. He's quoting from Deuteronomy. He's quoting from back in the day in the Old Testament, which is freely and often used as an example for today, for how we live today, as you've seen in Hebrews. But Moses made the statement when he came down from the mountain. He said, listen, I, we, God has made this covenant with all of us, not some of us, all of us. We are all in this covenant. And this is what he said in verse 15. But whoever stands with us here today before the Lord, our God as well, and those not with us here today, everybody's included in this. And this is what he said. So that there may not be among you a man or a woman or a family or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God and go to serve the gods of these nations and that they may not be among you or have a root of bitterness or wormwood. So please understand what we're talking about, what is in play here because it's clear because the writer of Hebrews is referring to believers in the Old Testament under Moses. And Moses stood and said, Assembly, hear me. It's your responsibility that no one here today, not a family, not a clan, not a tribe, falls prey to the spirit of bitterness, to this, bitter, this bitter wormwood. And this is what verse 19, because when such a person hears the words of the oath, he will secretly bless himself and say, I'll have peace though I continue to walk with a stubborn spirit. I don't need them. I don't need what they say. I don't have to listen to them. I'm going to do it my way. I've got my own little arrangement with God. No, you don't. God has his standard. God has his word. We're thumbing our nose at the word of God when we talk that way. And this is what Moses said. When the person thumbs their nose and they become bitter, the spirit of wormwood, this is what they hear things like this, and they say, well, I'll have peace even though I continue to do what I want to do. This will destroy the watered ground with the parched. This will destroy the watered ground with the parched. That attitude, that level of bitterness will destroy anything that God is wanting to do in your life. And it will destroy those around you. In Revelation, we see the picture given by the Revelator John of a star falling from heaven, right? You may have read this before. And the Bible calls it, the, the star had a name, Wormwood. And it's interesting because it was capitalized and it poisoned, the Bible says, a third of the waters, uh, the rivers and the earth's spring water. And it killed many because it was bitter. Now, there are some good Bible scholars who believe that Wormwood was actually a fallen angel or, if you will, a demonic spirit named Wormwood. A little speculative, but not unprecedented. It's interesting because 
The apostle Peter called someone out like this in Acts 18. Remember Simon the sorcerer? He wanted to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. He saw them laying hands on people and they were being baptized in the Holy Spirit and were speaking in other tongues and falling out under the power and everything else. Was meant. And this, this magician was blown away. He's like, I want to buy that. And that magician had just given his heart to the Lord a couple weeks pri prior to that. He was a, he, the Bible says he, he believed. And when he asked that of Peter, Peter, this is what Peter said. Well, let's just start with 18. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. And this is what Peter said. Peter said, your money perish with you. This is what you do. Verse 22, repent therefore of your wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that you're poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Your heart has been affected by bitterness now, I want, you to, I want you to note here the entry points to bitterness, the entry points to wormwood. All right? This is key to see this because Simon envied them. And because of his envy, Acts here, Luke is pointing out that his envy led to bitterness, and Peter was calling that out. And, and the entry points to bitterness are this. You can be resentful of someone. You can be envious of someone. You can be jealous of someone. Jealousy, envy, resentfulness are all doorways to deadly demonic bitterness. And listen, they can take many shapes. You can resent someone because you think they got something you didn't. You can resent someone because they got to do something you didn't. They got away with something you didn't get away with. They got a promotion you didn't get. They have a life that you wish you had. You can resent people for imaginary reasons that the enemy of your soul will play up on. Well, they look down on you because you're white. They look down on you because you're black. They look down on you because you're a single mom. They look down on you because they don't have money. Because, 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 and the demon will stir that strife up. And all of a sudden you'll resent people who have no reason for you to resent and are clueless that you resent them. But because you have envied, because you've been jealous, because you have resented them, you have unwittingly opened the door for bitterness. And I want to tell you, my friends, this is demonic. This is a work of a demon. This is a work of a demon. And these are monsters because they can be spiritualized by the one believing the lie. Thus hiding the truth. <laughs> I'm preaching better than you're letting on right now. Thus hiding the true reason for the true root of the resentfulness or jealousy or envy. Well, if that church cared about souls, they would be doing blah, blah, blah. Well, if she cared about the poor, she would be doing blah, blah, blah. Well, if he really cared about missions, they would be doing this, that, and the other. Be very careful, my friend, because those statements can sound very spiritual. But I'm here to tell you this morning that they may also be a front for a resentful, bitter spirit, demonic spirit called Wormwood. That's why, you see, it's not that you're in this and I'm in this. We're in this together, and we need each other. Our body, we need each other to make it. 
because you see the things that I just mentioned are free flowing in our culture. And I mean, people will, people will agree with you on Facebook. They'll love your post. Oh yes, brother. You ought to hear my story. Oh, please, please bore me with it. Thank you. And notice in your text, notice what it says. When wormwood springs up, it does something. You see that in verse 16? It causes trouble and defiles many others. You ever been a part of a situation where the bitterness of a person started affecting people around them? And all of a sudden they had their own little club of negative people. And the little negative club, and you could see him huddled in the corner, and they were talking bad about it. And someone else walks up, and they try to act all, hey, bless you. Jesus loves you. Spare me. Spare me. Just preaching truth today. Because bitterness defiles many others, it says. I would suggest when we as a body stand idly by while someone is infected with bitterness, resentfulness, jealousy, we do them harm and we do the entire body harm by not reaching out to them and addressing it. This is a problem in the church world today. Resentful, envy, bitterness, and it often keeps people from going to church. You know how many people I've met in 33 years that don't go to church today? And they tell me the story. Somebody heard him 20 years ago, 30 years ago. They were some, some deacon at some church or some pastor at some church or some small group. And they got, a, they got this heartbreaking story of what happened 20 years ago. And I'm looking at them and I, I'm just like, yeah, that was 20 years ago. Yeah, well, I just, uh, yeah, yeah. not worth your eternal soul. Because that's what's in play here. That's what's in play in the scripture. And I know people don't like to embrace that. This, this, is, what, this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. We have to reach out to these people because they ain't going to make heaven. It's often what keeps people from going church to church to church to church to church. Now, there are valid reasons to leave a church. We all know that. We got that. We get it. In fact, I've preached a sermon one time on how to leave a church properly. <laughs> no, no punchline coming after that. I'm tempted, but no. I'm just, but I preached that sermon one time. But I want to tell you, those people who travel from one to one to one, and they never get settled in a church family, sometimes they're, sometimes they're dealing with bitterness, they're dealing with resentment, and they're dealing with feelings, and they go from place to place, and they stay long enough until those feelings resurface, and then they move on forever being a toddler spiritually. They've become bitter, and they've unknown, unknowingly vexed by a demonic spirit called bitterness. So what should we do? Because this is what the Hebrews writer says. See to it that none of, none of your family, none of your, the people that you, you roll with in your church, see to it that none of them become infected by bitterness. See, this is the challenge. I've had this conversation with probably a half dozen people in my life, like, you know what, or more. I mean, what, what, what do you do when you see somebody and, and you know they're going to be resistant and they don't want to hear it? I'm like, you know what, the church culture has merely reflected the, the, the secular culture, and now when we try to shift forward and become biblical, they're going to push back. Ah, oh, you're a cult. Well, no, actually, that's biblical.
like people have that problem when they try to trans translate the book of Revelation. You, you, you can't treat it allegorically and shift a literal at your convenience. <laughs> if you're going to translate it allegorically, then you stay there. You stay on that horse all the way through. If you're going to translate it literally, then you stay on the literal horse all the way. You can't flip back and forth. And I see prophecy people all the time. Well, that's, that's allegorical. That's literal. Well, you can't do that. And that's what happens. I think we have a church that, that, that is trying to build and become strong here on the planet. And yet we've denied and we've not allowed some of the things that we need to keep each other strong and healthy. Is this making sense today? I told you it'd be challenging. But it's the word of God. I got to preach it. So I love about going verse by verse. I have to deal with these. So what should I do if I see or hear a brother or sister going down this path? I say we intervene as best we can. I feel there's our biblical responsibility to do so. With love. Take a couple friends. Sit down with them. Ultimately, it's going to be up to them to receive. But at least we could say, you know, we tried. At least we reached out. But you see, I feel like when, when we lose someone to the world, I know people move and travel and all that stuff. That, that, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about somebody loses out with God and they're gone. I take that personally. And so should you. You should be connected enough in this body that you, you know and that hurts your heart. And you want to do something about it. And see, here's the American thinking. Well, the church ought to do something about it. You are <laughs> the church, honey. <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that for 30 years. Oh, the church, what they mean, the pastor. The pastor ought to do something, right? The pastor's like this overworked guy about to collapse. Okay, I'll go there too. <laughs> no, you're the church. If someone needs healed, you're the church. If someone needs reached out to you're the church if someone needs touched and accountability you're the church do it i do believe there's this level of that this is why i say it's not enough just to to read the word you have to do the word and the same it's not enough just to go to church you have to engage with the church because you, you, I, i've seen other people try to speak into people's lives they have no relationship with them and that obviously where is that going to go nowhere this is why it's important that we engage on the front end. That way, all the other things that God calls us to do become a little easier because then we can, we can fulfill what God's called us to do on accountability. Every one of us in here need an accountability partner or two or three. I see mine sitting on the back row back there. I love that man. We need somebody we can talk to and say, hey, I've got a weak area here. I've got a struggle here. I've got a boom. And I'm going to tell you, Jason, am I right? They, just, they dissipate. When we share things, things dissipate. <laughs> Every one of us here, not your husband, not your wife. Men, do not have your wife as accountability partner, as your primary one. She could be one. She could be one of the ones you have. But I believe as a man, you need another man. A woman, I think you need another woman. I think that's just, that's just good biblical practice. And, and if you have a friend, I, I, my, my question to you is tell me about their life with Jesus. Tell me about their relationship with Jesus. If I, I say, this is my best friend, this is her name. Okay, tell me about her. Tell me about her relationship with Jesus. If he's like, well, I don't know. Okay, well, then that's probably not someone who's even serving God. If they're serving God, they're going to talk about Jesus. They're going to, it's going to bleed through everything they do. Those are the people that we need to connect to and get stronger with. 
because we have a responsibility to each other. You see here, let, let me just go ahead while I'm down here. We've allowed discipleship to be only about how, how much we love God. That is false. At least one half of our discipleship should be how much we love the body of Christ that we're connected in. We've made discipleship all about how much you love God, brother. But it should be at least half how much I love my brothers and sisters and how well I take care of them. That's biblical. That's the biblical. That's the biblical discipleship. How well am I loving the people around me? How well am I loving? How well am I serving them? That has to be at least half of our discipleship and our faith in Christ. Jesus even said, the, the people say, well, I, I, if you love God and hate your brother, you're a liar. If you love God and ignore your brother or don't know any names or don't know, you're not connected. God, God's calling. We're, we're part of a body. This is a team. This is a family. This is what church is. I know not all churches feel that way, and it, it, some of you it feels kind of weird because maybe you came from a dysfunctional home or dysfunctional family, and, and so the talk of family kind of feel, creeps you out. But understand, the kingdom family is healthy. Why? Because it's got a very, very, very healthy father. He's perfect. He's flawless. And our father wants us to love each other the way he loves us. Yes, love him love each other the same way and stop measuring spirituality by just this I think we need to at least take half of it and measure it this way why else would the writer of Hebrews have said this see to it that no one in your family no one in your body see to it that no one lags behind see I read the Bible and I get convicted like how many people have I just and I can't put it all on me, I understand that, but I think we all should read it personally like that. I believe in imminent grace. That's what's the beauty of being a Pentecostal. You don't get imminent grace everywhere else. You get imminent grace in a Pentecostal church. Imminent grace means God could show up right now and heal you. He could show up right now and change your life. He could show up right now and fill you. He could show up right now. That's imminent grace. It's about to happen any moment. That's why we have these banners here. Because imminently those things are about to happen. Because God's here, it's imminent grace. And I want to tell you, I feel like if, if we've gotten bored in church, if we've gotten bored here, I want to tell you, it's not the pastor's fault, it's not God's fault, it's our fault. It's our fault. It's our fault. Because there's some things that we're to see too. And this is one of them. We have to see too. We love our family, we love our brothers and sisters, and we hold them up, and we reach out to them, and we encourage them. I got to move on. I'm closing here. Number three, this is it. See to it that no one becomes immoral or godless. See to it. Man, the word, the term see to it is kind of strong. It's like, you know, if I had a boss tell me see to it, I... I wouldn't want to let him down. Oh, yeah, Eric, and see to it that that gets painted red. Okay. What am I going to do? Go buy red paint and a brush. If I can't get someone else to do it, I'll be there and doing it and getting it done. Why? Because he said see to it. Sounds kind of important, right? 
See to it that no one becomes godless or immoral. And he jumps in here, and he, he begins talking about like Esau who sold his birthright. So let me, let me just briefly go back and just remind you about Esau. Esau was a man who rejected God, and later he sought the blessing and the benefit of serving God, but that he had already rejected. And the reason why, he was the Bible says he was unable to find repentance. In other words, he refused to repent for his lifestyle, but he wanted to go back because he missed the people, he missed the relationship, and in his case, he missed the blessing and the wealth that came with that. And because he looked back in retrospect and said, I missed that. But here's the thing. Esau, you have to repent of your mind. You're thinking, thinking, and you're wrong thinking. you got to repent, and you have to go back and humble yourself. He wasn't willing to do that. See, there's a lot of people. They're in the middle of something, and they know it's wrong. They know it's, they shouldn't be doing it, but yet they continue. Why? Because they're not repenting yet. Esau abandoned the right path. He later regretted it. He wanted the happiness he formerly had. He wanted the life he formerly had in the Lord, but he couldn't get there because he wouldn't repent. And then in the passage, it says, you know, remember Mount Sinai? That's what the writer of Hebrews says next. And he brought out the harshness when God came down on Mount Sinai. No one was allowed to touch the mountain. If anyone touched the mountain, stone them. Any animal touches the mountain, stone them. And he says, what we have now, the, the covenant we have now is even greater than that one. And this is one that we can touch and taste and behold and be a part of. And it's a much better covenant. Don't miss it, he says. Don't, don't, don't dismiss it. Don't, don't sell out. Don't give up on, on the cusp of victory. Keep pressing in, friends. Hear me today. Don't give up. Don't let the devil talk you out of your new path. Don't let the devil talk you out of your victory. I don't care. Culture may be trying to pull you one way. You have to draw a line in the sand by the power of the Holy Spirit and say, I ain't going back that way. I'm not going down that direction. I know where that road leads. I know where that past will take me. And I'm I'm not going back there anymore from this day forward i'm going with jesus and i know it's squarely against the flow but that's the only way to heaven it's the narrow path my friend it's the rocky narrow path the broad wide road many are on that path and they're headed to hell but jesus said the path that leads to life is difficult and it's narrow and it's like hiking up mount rainier and you've got a narrow rocky path and you got the team with you and you're linking arms if you have to like ryan said we crawled at one point because we all we had left. But any movement is forward movement. Crawl. We'll help you crawl. You say, I don't have any strength. We'll pick you up. We'll take you by the hand. We'll help you. Because that's what a good friend do. That's what a family would do. That's what a good team does. Not just an American military saying, but we, we don't leave anyone behind. Even the ones that died, even the one laying out in the street in Mogadishu, bleeding, dead. He said, we've got to go back and get those men because they're one of us. They're beating the bodies, they're abusing the bodies. You guys remember that back, back in the 90s? We've got to go back and get those men. We can't let them be disgraced because they're part of us. So I believe one of the kingdom of God 
we just fell just radically in love with our brothers and sisters. And I know it's easy to shift it out. Well, I love people. No, no, I, I know it's great. Thank you. For, thank you for loving people. We're talking about the church because that's, that's the command of Scripture. The people, your brothers and sisters, you go to, that you worship with, that is your church family. And wherever you go, there's going to be a mix. There'll be people that are like, woo, and people like, oh, and people, and there's going to be all kinds of people. It's the same way everywhere. But what we're called to do is connect and join and then bleed the ground red for the king and for each other because that is the way of the cross. We will serve each other and love each other, die for each other if we have to. I know this is not a very friendly American culture sermon. This is not seven steps to your best life now. Shade fully intended to be thrown right there. I'm sorry, that's, that's not the gospel. Jesus was having, wasn't probably having his best day. He had the skin ripped off his back, crown of thorns sunk on his head. The Bible says he was beaten so he couldn't even recognize who he was any longer. And then he had the audacity to say, you want to follow me? You have to do the same thing. Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. You're going to have many days that aren't your best day now. But I do know that the Lord is calling us to be a body that loves one another and is accountable to one another. But listen, it, it, these are just words. It, it, it'll just it, it continue to go as it always been if we don't make the decision to say, you know what, I, I'm going to engage. I'm going to connect. I'm going to open my heart up. I'm going to reveal weakness to somebody. I'm, I'm going to connect with somebody that I can reveal my weakness to. And when you do that, listen, get ready. Get ready. You won't believe how awesomely fast you're going to grow in the Lord. You're going to explode. A year from now, the things that used to vex you won't vex you anymore. A year from now, I'm like, man, I used to be tempted by that and that, but not anymore. You know why? You opened yourself up. You engaged. You allowed the Lord to come in, and you got some brothers and sisters around you, and you grew, and you became stronger. And most importantly, you allowed it to happen. Because no one's going to do it for you. No one's going to make you, right? No one's going to say, you've got to do this. You have to come along for the journey. Verse 25, and I'm closing. I love what he says. So do not refuse the voice that comes from heaven. Do not refuse the voice that comes from heaven. In other words, God is calling you to this, right? God is calling you to all, everything we just said. God's calling you to that. He's calling you to, to come on. He's calling you to come closer. Don't refuse that voice. I would also say that the messenger of that voice shouldn't be refused either. If you have a brother or sister speaking to you in love, would it be wisdom to listen to them? You're not God. Well, but maybe God sent him. I know that's our little American out card. Like, oh, God didn't tell me to do that. <laughs> well, forgive? What's well, in the Bible? <laughs> Does he have to show up at the burning bush and say? I think there's times that we've got to dial in and listen to our brothers and sisters. Verse 25, do not refuse the voice that speaks from heaven. 
we've allowed discipleship to not include how much we love and care for our brothers and sisters in Christ, and I think it's time that that is reversed in Jesus' name. See to it that no one comes up short of the grace of God. See to it that no one becomes like a bitter root springing up and causing trouble, and through it many are defiled. And see to it that no one becomes an immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. Lord Jesus, we just pray right now all across this room, you would just speak to every heart, God, speak to every life. In Jesus' name. Lord, I first of all just want to pray healing over every person in this room that has emotional hurts, emotional damage, things from the past that have caused bitterness. God, we just pray right now for just a complete emotional healing in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, I don't even need to have my hands raised because that would be every one of us in here. That would be every one of us in here. Lord, heal our emotions. Heal our heart. God, help us to be able to trust others in the body of Christ again. God, even if we've gone through a hurtful situation at a church in the past, God, we got to flush it. We got to get past it. We got to get over it because eternity is at stake. Someone said someone I didn't like. Somebody, somebody mishandled something. Somebody didn't say something to me that they should have. Somebody, somebody didn't treat me right. Listen, we got to flush it. We got to flush it and understand that there's not a single perfect person in the church. Not one single, not one single person except Jesus. He's the only perfect one. Jesus, I pray, heal every part of my heart. So here we go. Lord, I pray you'd heal bitterness right now in Jesus' name. I pray resentfulness in Jesus' name. If there's been people that we've resented, people that we've been jealous of, people that we've envied, bitterness that we've held, God, I pray that you would wash that away right now as we surrender it to you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God, we believe in imminent grace. So, God, I pray your, your, your power imminently right now would heal someone's heart. Someone, God, that walked in with, a, with a, a dagger in their heart. God, I know you can heal them right now. In Jesus' name, I speak healing over everyone in this room. God, that the past would no longer dictate their future. Lord Jesus. Would y'all stand with me right now? And if you're able to, lift your hands to the Lord. Let's just surrender everything to him fully right now. God, we just, we just surrender everything to you right now. God, my past, past ways of thinking that weren't healthy, that weren't right. God, resentfulness. God, I've resented people because they looked at me funny. I resented people. God, I, I went to conclusions with people because I thought this and I thought that and I, I was wrong. And I've been wrong, God. Jesus, 
Jesus, we want a body that is predicated on trust. We want a body that is predicated, Lord, not only on loving you, yes, but loving each other. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. If you have a prayer language, just begin to pray in the Spirit right now. Just begin to pray in the Spirit. Let it rise. 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 If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, just receive right now. Remember, imminent grace. He's here to fill you. Right, He'll baptize you right where you stand. He'll baptize you right where you stand. If you used to be able to pray in tongues and haven't done it in a while, this is your moment right now. Just step out in faith. The same way you received it the first time, you'll receive it this time, just in faith. It's the most beautiful sound I've heard today. No offense to our band, but I love hearing people praying in tongues. It's so beautiful. Come on, just pray, lift it up, lift it up, lift it up, lift it up out loud. Keep it going, keep it going, keep it going. Let the water level rise in this room right now. Let the water level rise in this room right now. If you want to mix in some thankfulness, that's great. Lord, I thank you for my freedom. I thank you, God, for my heart that you've ministered to. And I thank you for giving my sin. I thank you, God, for touching me. I thank you, God, for speaking to me today. God, I'm thankful for all the wonderful things. God, I'm sorry for envying other people's lives and other people. God, when I have it so much better than 98% of this planet, Lord, God, I, I just receive your grace and your glory and your goodness right now. In Jesus' name, God, I've got a TV and I got heat. I got air conditioning. I got a roof over my head. That's better than 98% of the planet. God, I thank you for that. I thank you for that. I got hopefully a family that loves me. I got people that love me. I got someone that loves me in my life. Whether you think you do, do or don't, I want to tell you you do because you're in this room and you're loved. I want to tell you that right now. So I got people in my life that love me. God, I thank you for that. There's people on this planet that have no one, and that's not an exaggeration. Jesus, I bless you. Thank you, God. And they can switch back to tongues. Lord, I love you. God, I'm not going to let envy become bitterness. I'm not going to let jealousy. I'm not going to let resentfulness become bitterness, God. Get it out of my heart right now. God, I repent of it. I want it out right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Lord, help me to embrace the biblical principle. If I'm able to rejoice with people who have good things happen to them, that sows seed for good things to happen to me. If I can rejoice with those who rejoice, come on. That, that's a gateway into receiving ourselves from the Lord. Rather than envying somebody or being resentful that they have what we don't, just thank, be thankful with them. Bless them for that. Get excited with them. That opens the door for God to do something in your heart. Why? Because your heart will be right then. Your attitude is right. Oh, 
Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, la 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 de 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 asi. Now, how many here today say, you know, Pastor Eric, I need a touch from the Lord today. I need a touch from heaven. If that's where you're at right now, and else I didn't, I didn't qualify. You just need a touch from the Lord today. I want you to get out of your seat. I want you to come to this, what we call the altar area. And we're going to pray with you and agree with you. And we're just going to pray that God touches you and heals you and ministers to you exactly where you need it today. So come, come, come. If you need a touch from the Father today. You need a touch from heaven, right? Hebrews 12, 25, the voice from heaven. Come on, come on, you need that voice today. And we're not gonna say no. When we hear that voice, it's yes, Lord. It's yes, Lord. It's yes, Lord. It's yes, Lord. Now, if I get my deacons and elders and staff that are here, if you'd come up and just lay hands, just, just begin walking through the altar area here and lay hands on people in faith, in Jesus' name. Deacons, elders, staff, hurry, hurry, hurry. There's some folks today that need encouragement. They need a touch from heaven. They need the Lord Jesus Christ to visit their situation right now. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This message and other resources are available at DestinyDayton.com.